Today we're continuing in our encounter series. We've been looking at various first time meetings that people have with Jesus through Luke's account of his life. And just to say, if you've enjoyed this series and you'd like to explore a little further into Jesus' encounters with people, there's a great book I'd like to recommend. It's by Tim Keller. It's called Encounters with Jesus and it goes through the different encounters to the ones that we've been exploring in this series. It tracks Jesus' life through John's Gospel and it's well worth picking up. It's good for anybody who's a new Christian or new to Christianity or has been a Christian for a long time and you can pick it up on the internet for less than a tenner. And today we're continuing in this encounter series. As I say, we're looking at our eighth encounter and our penultimate one. And you can find it in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. This is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Uh, time this morning to go deeper into your word, the Bible. I thank you that through these words, we like Zacchaeus can encounter you. So help us today, we pray, to hear you speak today for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as a child of the 1990s, I certainly know uh, this stuff. I hope you do too as well. This is Ron Seal. And I would hazard a guess that most of you would know what it's famous for. Probably one of the most well-known slogans in British advertising, uh, at least in the 1990s, if not of all time. Their slogan was, does exactly what it says on the tin. And if there's one thing the Ron Seal marketing team wanted us to remember about their product, it's the simple fact that Ron Seal does exactly what it says on the tin. Now, I think in today's passage, Jesus is having something of a Ron Seal moment. He gives us his does exactly what it says on the tin slogan, a statement that sums up what Jesus is all about, why he's on the earth and why he's mixing and encountering with various types of people. Did you see it in the passage, I wonder? Look down at the last verse that we read, verse 10. Jesus tells Zacchaeus his mission statement. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. If Jesus has carried around business cards in his day, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, may well have been written in bold lettering across it. And what we have in today's passage in Luke 19 is not really just a statement, but an encounter that Jesus has with a man which really demonstrates exactly what this mission statement looks like in practice. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. 
Now, the Son of Man, that's a title that Jesus often uses in the Gospels to refer to himself. It originates in the Old Testament. The seeking, the saving and the lost part, we're going to explore in a little bit more detail as we go through the text. And today we're just going to go through this short story verse by verse. So starting at verse one, Jesus is passing through a place called Jericho. Now, I like to think it's a little bit like modern day Kingston upon Thames. Jericho is a popular place to live at this time. It's close to the capital city and the taxes were extremely high. Does that ring any bells to you? Well, Jesus is passing through this city, Jericho, and in his public ministry, he's been preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing the sick. He's even been raising the dead. And his ministry started up in the north of Israel, in his hometown, Nazareth. But by now, in Luke's account, He's entering the final straight of his journey. It's going to ultimately culminate him going to the capital city, Jerusalem, where he'll be put to death on a cross for our sins. But for now, Jesus is in a somewhat suburban postcode and Jericho is a beautiful place. It's a walled city with a royal palace and a hippodrome and beautiful design gardens. It still sounds a little bit like Kingston Borough to me, though I think the comparison stops there because Jericho had a tropical climate. And Jericho was a major hub of business activity in the country too. It had trade routes in and out of the city, north and south, east and west. And it was also one of three major tax centres in Israel at the time. But why am I telling you about that? Well, it's because the man Jesus meets today, Zacchaeus, worked for an ancient version of HMRC. He was a tax collector. In fact, we were told that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich, which is likely an understatement because this is how taxes worked in those days. Israel was under Roman government at the time. And this wasn't good news for Jews because it meant high taxes to godless authorities. Tax collectors were Jewish people who had switched sides. They'd sold out, choosing to work for the government against them. Only the thing is, the government didn't pay tax collectors a salary. They gave them a figure to go and collect in tax from the Jewish people, and any additional money they could extort from their people was for them to keep. There was no cap on commission, so they used to just rip people off, demanding more tax than was due. And as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus would have been extremely wealthy, as well as getting rich quickly through these means of extorting his fellow Jews, he's also likely getting a slice of the other tax collector's earnings. Now, I don't think that people who work in tax collection in our country are particularly popular. But you have to understand, Zacchaeus wasn't just unpopular in Jericho. He would have been hated. He would have been despised, viewed as the lowest of the low, something of a criminal and a traitor. And we need to feel the heat of how people felt towards somebody like Zacchaeus. Now, I think a modern day equivalent is a little bit like this man. This is Sir Philip Green. He's been in the news quite a lot over the last year or so. He's a very wealthy man. He's estimated to be worth around three billion pounds in total. And until 2015, he owned BHS, British Home Stores, the high street store chain, which was on the decline for years until it went completely bust last year. And now there are no BHS stores anymore. Now, while the company itself was making really big losses under Sir Philip Green's ownership, it had debts over a billion pounds and a pensions deficit of £571 million, it emerged that Sir Philip took out dividends and rental payments for him and his family 
of 586 million quid. This was all during his time as the owner. BHS was going under, but he was making a fortune, leaving employees who had worked in stores for years of faithful service having to rely on a pension protection scheme for their future well-being. Sir Philip felt the heat of public disgust and condemnation for his actions. He was summoned before the government's select committee to explain his actions, and those were his only public appearances over the last year or so. I should point out that Sir Philip Green has now paid £363 million back into the pension scheme, and he's kept his knighthood as a result, but over the last couple of years, I certainly think he would have known a little bit what it was like to be Zacchaeus. With good reasons, he was disliked. And now I'd imagine that Sir Philip Green, like Sir Philip Green, Zacchaeus probably didn't make many public appearances. But he finds something compelling about Jesus. Now, we don't know why Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus exactly. Maybe he realised that his huge wealth at other people's expense couldn't make him content. Maybe he just wanted to see what all the fuss was about Jesus. Whatever it was, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, has coaxed Zacchaeus out. Maybe you describe yourself as something of a seeker here this morning. You're intrigued by Jesus. You're on the outside, maybe, looking in a little bit as Zacchaeus was. On paper, your life may look good. You're materially well off. You have a good job. You live in a nice town. And maybe, unlike Zacchaeus, you even live a moral life. But you realise that there's something missing in your life. And I think you are in good company with Zacchaeus because verse 3 says that even though Zacchaeus had all the riches you could possibly want, he was still seeking to see who Jesus was. And look at the efforts that he goes to. He's not just getting himself out of bed for the 10.30 a.m. meeting at church. Zacchaeus runs ahead and he climbs a tree. And in those days, it wasn't generally considered dignified for an adult to run unless they had to. But in this instance, Zacchaeus knew that he had to. He needed to see who Jesus was. And of course, one of the barriers that he faced was his physical stature. Most people who know something of the story of Zacchaeus remember that he was vertically challenged. He was a little guy. And so when the crowds flocked around Jesus, who'd become well known at this point, Zacchaeus has to be creative and resourceful. And so he finds a, a sycamore fig tree to climb. And they would have had low branches, so it would have been fairly easy for Zacchaeus to climb. But there is a problem for Zacchaeus here because he has to give up his anonymity. By climbing the tree, he's putting himself in the full sight of everybody, including Jesus. I wonder how Zacchaeus was expecting Jesus to respond to him. How would you feel if you were Zacchaeus in this situation? The rest of the Jews seem to hate you, and perhaps with some good reasons. And Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, so perhaps you'd be expecting a hostile reception. The truth is we don't know what Zacchaeus was expecting. But what we do know is how Jesus actually responds to him. Because Jesus looks up to the tree and he calls for him, Zacchaeus, hurry, for I must stay at your house today. That was actually how you honoured people in the culture of the time. In our culture, it's somewhat similar, but a little bit different. The way we tend to work is that we honour people by inviting them to something, to our homes or to our event. 
If you remember the royal wedding a few years ago, people who attended the, the wedding of Will, Will and Kate um, generally spoke of their great honour in being invited to this event, to their wedding, rather than telling the Duke and Duchess, I'm honouring you by coming to your event, even though that might be true to some extent. But in first century Jericho, there was greater honour in attending somebody's home rather than inviting them round. It means that you were coming alongside them, it meant you were associating with them, accepting them and even honouring them. So what is Jesus doing? He's associating with and honouring a guy like Zacchaeus. Doesn't Jesus know who this is? Well, that's exactly what the crowd are thinking in verse 7. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Another translation puts it a notorious sinner. It was well known that Zacchaeus was a bad guy. So Jesus, what are you doing? You're hanging out with the wrong one. It's interesting to note the difference in the way the crowd reacts in the two different circumstances. Um, that's, that's referring back to the previous chapter where Jesus, while still in Jericho, he heals a blind beggar. And the crowd certainly approves of the action. You can read it in Luke eighteen forty-three. And immediately he, that's the blind beggar, recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, that's the crowd who are watching, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So they're delighted when Jesus comes to their city and does something that they approve of, a great miracle. And it is a wonderful thing that Jesus does in the previous chapter. But now the crowd have turned. They are grumbling because he's associating with a tax collector, a traitor, somebody who's working against them. And one of the reasons I think that the people are grumbling is because they expected the Messiah to overthrow their oppressors, the Roman government, and restore the country back under godly Jewish rule. So why on earth would the man they thought was the Messiah, Jesus, associate with a collaborator with the Roman government, a traitor, a betrayer like Zacchaeus. And so they mutter, they grumble and they moan. But here's the thing, they've missed the point. Remember Jesus's mission statement that we read at the start, that he's come to seek and save the lost. And the lost are both the blind beggars and the tax collectors, the poor and the rich. Jesus came for those who are oppressed and their oppressors and he came for those who were brought up in Christian homes and for those who weren't. He came for people trafficked and he came for people traffickers. He came for anyone who, who is prepared to admit that they are lost without God and sometimes religious crowds like the one we encounter in Jericho at this time are the most lost. They don't realise why Jesus has come or who he's come for and we can be just like the grumbling crowd. Would you be annoyed if God saved somebody you really didn't like? Perhaps somebody you even despise, maybe a world leader who was responsible for great atrocities, or a terrorist, or a murderer. What, you're just gonna forgive them, Jesus? But they're so undeserving. Look at all they've done wrong. Or maybe it's somebody a little closer to home, a family member with whom you have a bitter relationship, or a friend or even a former girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse. The truth is, we don't get to choose who God accepts, forgives, and saves. Jesus famously taught his disciples to take out the plank from their own eye before addressing the speck of dust in their brothers. 
It's very easy to become religious and stand over people in judgment as if we ourselves were nothing like Zacchaeus at all. Maybe you've never ripped somebody off like Zacchaeus did as the chief tax collector, but the truth is that none of us are even close to being perfect. How have you shortchanged people? Have you ever used people to get your own way? And how generous are you? Because money isn't the only currency that we're talking about here. You can be generous in any number of ways with your energy, with the use of your time, with your love and your care. Because there's two types of sins. That's what the Bible teaches. There's sins of commission. These are the wrong things that we say, do and think. And then there are sins of omission. These are the good things, the good deeds that we don't do. And I know that I'm guilty of both of these, but how slow I am to acknowledge them before God. It's far easier and more soothing to my ego to justify myself by comparing myself to somebody else who's less good. At least I'm not as bad as that person, I could say to God. Or at least I'm not as morally bankrupt as Zacchaeus. And I think the crowd is somewhat similar. But Jesus surprises the crowd. His actions and words tell us he's come exactly for people like Zacchaeus, people who might not have it all together externally, but people who are honestly thirsting after and seeking God. That's the heart attitude that Jesus honours. And I love Zacchaeus' response in verse 6. It's like he's a giddy child. We're told he hurriedly comes down from the tree that he'd climbed and he receives Jesus joyfully. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus calls for us. He initiates and we, like Zacchaeus, get to respond joyfully. God is good and he gives undeserved, unmerited favour. It's what the Bible calls grace. And we see grace is the currency Jesus deals in. So many of his encounters we've been looking at have shown us this grace, this grace of God. And it's all over Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus here. Grace is when God gives us what we absolutely do not deserve. And Zacchaeus didn't deserve to be honoured, but Jesus went ahead and he said, I must stay at your house today. He honoured Zacchaeus. And look at the way it transforms Zacchaeus' life. It's amazing. Let's reread verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything... I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now last week we were looking at Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler. He wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus exposed his rival, his idol in his life, the thing that he loved more than anything and was unprepared to give up to follow Jesus. And that was his wealth. And that led Jesus to say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's impossible for a rich person to truly follow Jesus. But he then says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And here we have the evidence that Jesus is good to his word. He doesn't make promises he can't keep. And the rich young ruler went away sad, but Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' invitation gladly. He hurries down and receives Jesus into his life with joy. 
He says, I am willing to give up my wealth and my life of extortion and turn to follow you. Half of all of his goods, not just his salary, but half of everything he owns goes to the poor. He makes restitution for his wrongdoing. By Jewish custom, paying restitution, well, this meant giving that you uh, giving back what you had taken from somebody plus a fifth on top. It's laid out in Leviticus. In other words, if you'd nicked 100 quid, you'd have to give 120 back. But here Zacchaeus isn't worried about following the letter of the law. This is the sign of a changed heart because he gives generously back. He gives fourfold back. In other words, if he'd nicked 100 pounds, he's now promising to give 500 back. This is what grace does to you. This is grace in action. Grace sets you free to be generous. This is no longer a man who's controlled by his desire to accumulate wealth and the security that comes with it at all costs. He's found a new security and it's found in grace and it's found in calling Jesus Lord of his life. The contrast between the rich ruler and Zacchaeus, well, they couldn't be starker. Both were rich. One held tightly to all that he treasured and wouldn't let go. That was last week. Zacchaeus, well, he's lost in greed, but freed by grace. What are the things that compete for your greatest affections? Is there anything in your life that's controlling you? You might think that you can control whatever this thing is, but so often, whatever it is, can end up controlling us. For instance, I've often played a high value, uh, placed a high value on other people's opinion of me. And that can end up being something that traps me, it controls me. What did they think of what I did, or what I said, or how I performed? And I felt God speak to me this week as I've read through this encounter with Zacchaeus, showing me that I can experience the grace of God again. I can be freed from the things that control me. I can listen to what God has to say on the matter and believe that and live in the freedom of grace. Now I want to finish uh, looking at this passage really by continuing to focus on grace because not only am I convinced that God's grace is what changed Zacchaeus's life and my life but it's also what can change your life whether you're receiving grace for the first time or a fresh time. An encounter with God is an encounter with grace. I think we can see three primary ways that Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus shows us the grace of God. So firstly, Jesus takes Zacchaeus's shame on himself. Now we've seen that Jesus honours Zacchaeus despite all of his moral failings and shortcomings. And what's interesting to note is the transfer of hostility in this story. We know that the Jewish crowd disliked and despised Zacchaeus, but all the hostility the Jewish crowd felt towards him, Jesus now takes on himself. So that the crowd now grumbles of Jesus. He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. The crowd are disappointed in Jesus. And it's Jesus that takes the flack. He takes Zacchaeus's shame. And he'll take ours too if we let him. There's also grace to cover any sin or shame. And our role is simply to receive that grace. And amazingly, grace doesn't stop there. Because secondly, Jesus names and renames Zacchaeus or in other words Jesus emphasizes Zacchaeus's new identity obtained by grace. I think it's quite significant actually that Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He could have just said oi you the tax collector which is kind of how everyone else seemed to know Zacchaeus. That was who he was 
Jesus, um, Zacchaeus's name in Hebrew means clean. It means pure, or it can be translated as righteous one. It must have seemed ironic at the time with all of his money-grabbing antics. And at the start of the passage, Luke introduces us to Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector who was rich and who was small. And we sometimes reduce our own identities or other people's to the same three things. What we do or our failings, the money and possessions that we have and what we look like. But Jesus looks beyond all of those things. And because Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully, he calls him a son of Abraham, a part of God's family. His identity isn't defined by what he has or doesn't have, or how he used to live his life, all his sins of the past. That's all covered now by the grace of God. And you can make that same trade-off today, your past sin for his grace. Are you tempted to think of yourself as the sum parts of the mistakes you've made? or the possessions you have, or how you look? Have you been striving hard to make yourself acceptable to other people or acceptable to God? Well, the good news today in the gospel of grace is that you can receive an identity as a son of Abraham, as part of God's family, as righteous, clean and pure, as the name Zacchaeus means. So Jesus takes Zacchaeus's shame on himself and he gives him a new identity. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus hung on a tree for Zacchaeus. Last week, Philip helped us to see that Jesus is the greater rich young ruler, the one who had limitless riches and power in heaven, but stepped down and became poor for our sake. Zacchaeus's actions are also an echo of Jesus. Zacchaeus gave half of all he had away to those he had cheated. That's generous restitution. But Jesus didn't do anything by halves. He gave away all that he had and he did it to those who had cheated him. Philippians 2 puts it this way, that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. It says Jesus emptied himself. And also sometimes when talking about Jesus' death on the cross, the New Testament writers refer to Jesus being put to death on a tree. It's a reference back to the Old Testament where it says that anyone who was hung on a tree would be cursed. And Zacchaeus climbs a tree and receives blessing. And by contrast, Jesus was hung on a tree and absorbed a curse so that we like Zacchaeus, could receive blessing. That same invitation is there for us today. God longs to bless us. He wants us to receive grace. Now, it can be quite daunting to look at the amount Zacchaeus gave up in response, half of everything he owned. And when it comes to implying, applying this encounter to our lives, I don't think we need to focus on the amounts to keep and the amounts to give away so much, this encounter is all about receiving grace and seeing how God will change our hearts to become generous. Now we're going to sing in a moment about this gospel of grace. And so I'll invite the band up and we're going to sing about the gospel. We're going to sing before the throne of God above. And there's a line in the second verse that says, Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. 
Do you know the freedom that comes from grace? It's transformative. It's life-changing. And we badly need it every day. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel of grace, that you give us what we don't deserve. Thank you for the cross where you endured the curse of God for all the all the wrong things we've done, said and thought, and our failure to do the right things that we should have. Yet thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and save the lost like us. Thank you for the blessings you give us as you gave Zacchaeus forgiveness, a glorious new identity as your children. Thank you for removing our sin, our guilt and our shame forever. And help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to receive this grace like Zacchaeus did and to respond with a generous outpouring of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.